Hello, ladies and gentlemen, uh, boys and girls. My name is Asmar Shid Mahmood, and I'm here with Didi uh, Mosaic Noon Talk, the podcast edition. Original program was a live Facebook interviews with some of the leading Canadian and international South Asian artists, performers, dancers, musicians, and personalities who have had a great influence and input towards South Asian arts and culture. Uh, the series of interviews and chats that I conducted uh, with various artists who have headlined our festival uh, in the last 14 years. Uh, so please keep in mind that because these were video chats, there will be uh, some uh, visualization on your part uh, to enjoy this series as podcast. Uh, Canadian Community Arts Initiative is uh, pleased to present uh, this podcast series uh, with the help of TD Ready Commitment, supported by City of Mississauga, Ontario Arts Council, Canada Council, Factor Canada, Celebrate Ontario Fund and Heritage Canada. And we recognize that we live on the treaty lands of Anishinaabe people of New Credits and Mississaugas. Thank you very much. For listening to our podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Please do uh, send us your views on our Instagram post, uh, on our Twitter account, uh, or write to us on our email. Thank you very much and enjoy on. Today, I'm really, really excited to um, share with you um, the wonderful and amazing guest uh, who is uh, sitting in England right now. Um, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of the universe, here is Bobby Friction. Hi, Bobby. Hello, Asma. And uh, you mentioned everyone. You forgot the aunties and the uncles as well as the people of the universe as well. Absolutely. Aunties and uncles. I am absolutely in that league. So I know <laughs> how important aunties and uncles are. And uh, the, one of the reasons why I thought that you would be such a great guest for us is for you to tell how those uncles and aunties can uh, connect with the music that the boys and girls are producing nowadays uh, under the tutelage of uh, the great Bobby Friction and his <laughs> ilk. Well, um, we'll discuss all of that and we'll discover all of that. I think, um, unlike a lot of other communities, our aunties and uncles and our youth are pretty connected uh, culturally and, and musically anyway. But yeah, let's talk about where all of this is going, where all the music and our heritage is going, because we are living in revolutionary and a hyperspeed times at the moment for culture, music, and of course, technology, which we've got to thank for, for, for you and me meeting each other today over the internet. Absolutely. No, I'm, I, and not only that, this, I think within these last three months, uh, um, uncles and aunties that we call uh, have become really sophisticated about using internet and resources through internet and making up their profiles. I have seen so many uh, new profiles on Facebook and on in Instagram. So it's, it's really exciting. Of course, my poison is Twitter. I love Twitter. But uh, thanks goodness they have not reached there yet. Uh, my children always <laughs> were thanking now that they see that I'm on Twitter. Now they are not on Twitter anymore. <laughs> so things keep evolving and moving. We are trying to catch up really fast. So um, tell me, how are the things with you in these days um, of uh, COVID? I hope we soon reach post-COVID era and reassess our lives and see what happened and how it hit us. Uh, how are the things coming along with you? 
Okay, well, first of all, let's just think about music and radio, because obviously that's what I do. Um, I have spent the last four months, this this global lockdown that we've been through, pre-recording my radio shows at home. That's brought a lot of surprises, uh, a lot of evolution and innovation. But I'll tell you straight, nothing beats sitting in a radio studio, pulling the mic down, getting interaction from your listeners and being able to do stuff in real time. For the last four months, I've been walking around my house, listening to music, carefully piecing the show together and then pre-recording links. And the trouble with pre-recording links is suddenly you're in the realms of reading a script. You're in the realms of, of TV drama and, and cinema. You're not doing what, what I think is the power of radio, which is intimacy and reality. All right. So um, weirdly enough, I go back into the studio on Monday for the first time since the middle of March. So uh, for me, radio-wise, lockdown finishes on Monday. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> I know it sounds so sexy when you're in studio. There is a certain kind of uh, environment that you are used to and you uh, immediately feel like there is a control there. I am so out of control here, you know, sitting in this environment. Uh, there, are, there were times when I was running out of um, the thing trying to stop my neighbors from cutting their grass. And because, <laughs> so we are really uh, dependent on lots of elements uh, in these uh, circumstances. But of course, there is a spontaneity which comes with, uh, with these days. So that kind of gives us that freedom. So um, uh, have you been exploiting that freedom a bit? Yeah, well, um, for me, the fully freedom that came was I was able to actually... You see, you see, the trouble with me is, and this is all, all good radio presenters, should basically be people who talk too much. So I'm usually the person my wife goes, shut up. You've been talking for the last half an hour. So, so great radio presenters should talk too much. But during the COVID uh, time, when I was pre-recording, it's not about talking. I, you know, I, uh, There's a big difference between a podcast and a live music radio show. And I found myself and my show falling into podcast territory and as much as podcasts are the future and they've liberated so many people and they're a welcome addition to 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 uh, uh you know the spoken word and, and what i really enjoy um basically doing a pre-record on a music show just didn't work for me i just i ended up feeling like i felt like my listeners were listening to a spotify playlist and i was only there to say that was Hans Raj Hans, and now Jay Sean. Whereas I want to get into the, the the DNA of the music. I want to I want to talk about how I'm feeling at that point when I hear the music. So essentially, what happened was I stopped making a radio show and I started making a playlist with little little interventions. So yeah, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy that I'm going back in the studio. Okay, I have to tell this to everybody i've told you this thing but bobby friction was introduced to me by my 95 year old taya uncle <laughs> right <laughs> in this saga and he said you don't know bobby bobby friction oh my god you should know bobby friction and later on he became a huge fan of noreen as well and and honestly i was amazed because he gave me so much information and he said that that's the program you should listen to because you are into the music you should, you should be listening to him and and that's how i got to know you and of course diamond introduced uh, me to you as well diamond dugal but 
honestly, that man, that guy is so plugged in, and I and I had to plug him in here. But for so many people who really don't know much about Bobby Friction, we have a small clip which we are going to just play now, uh, so that a lot of people get that introduction of yours. He's an award-winning DJ, yeah. producer, radio presenter with the BBC Asian Network. Let's welcome the one and only Bobby Friction. A man not afraid to die, gave his life for a dream. Born hustler, so the game conceived. A cage beast, but now this is BBC Asian Network in Mumbai. Get ready for Indian hip hop in its rawest form. This is the cipher. I can't wait. To get into your rhymes and your bars today, brothers and sisters. Woo! This man is the first man to ever play me on the radio for more than 17 years. He's been all over spreading this music to the diaspora. You know, for me, this is my Khandan. Ever that Khandan is. So that was uh, that was a small intro uh, of Bobby Friction, uh, the DJ, the guy who has analyzed the music, changes in music, who has been really there putting the South Asian sounds on mainstream, which is so important, which is something that uh, we've been, uh, you know, trying to do, figure it out in, in Canada as well, um, starting with uh, Abhishek Mathur, who started Salamendi Masti Festival amazing festival and um, uh, then of course uh, um, Satish Bala has been doing a great job and and to a certain extent you know the Mosaic Festival has that platform but we are slowly and gradually our job is to educate our audience as well because urban music is not everybody's cup of tea so where do you think uh, you know we have reach or how do you think the, the change started happening you know I remember DJ Ruby and things. So, can we go that far back and then move towards now? Yeah. Well, look. If uh, for me, when I think about Desi diaspora music, um, I do think about the UK in the 1980s. Obviously, in 2020, the walls have come crumbling down, and the track you're gonna hear on radio could easily be a um, a uh, a rap track from Mumbai or something out of uh, Vancouver or something out of Bradford or Birmingham. But back in the days, for me, I really felt like the UK reigned supreme. And I think we have enough evidence to prove that because I would go out to India and I would have cousins going, oh, my God, who are these Bhangra bands? Who, what is this sound? I mean, it's Bhangra, but it's it's something beyond. So what the UK was doing in the 80s for me really kick-started everything that's happening in the diaspora. And for me, the diaspora is dominated by Canada, the United Kingdom and, and the USA. But what's actually happened is there's now a loop, a feedback loop, where the music coming out of Pakistan and India also feeds into that. So as I've already said, you hear a track and you literally don't know if it was produced in Lahore or produced in Brampton. Okay, so rewinding back for me all started in the 80s during the 90s we saw obviously these shoots coming out of countries like canada and the usa and i will tell you straight my own prejudice against canadians it's not about canadians i just assumed around about the early noughties this is after the the 80s bhangra explosion after the Asian underground explosion, Talvin Singh, Nitin Sony, all that stuff in the, in the 90s. In the early noughties, when Jay Sean 
and Rishi Rich and Juggy D were making music, when Punjabi MC took Mundi and Tobachke across the world, I would have put all my money, I would have bet my house on America being the next center of Desi culture, all right? It just made sense. America is where Hollywood comes from. America is where hip hop grew out of. You've got all of these kids who essentially grow up with Desi parents, but they rap in an American accent. So that was it. It was, it was you know, no one would have uh, believed that Canada would have even been anywhere near the UK or the United States of America. And what's happened? We're in 2020 now, and essentially, outside of India and Pakistan, the golden country is Canada. The music, the range of music, the talent, from abstract electronica to hip-hop to bhangra to Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi expression, Canada is out of control at the moment, Asma. I know, I'm so excited. Uh, you know, and, and the, the music on of all people, my husband is a huge fan of the Punjabi music that's coming out, especially the truckers' music. And, and there's <laughs> this, this whole new sensibility about truckers and their wives and how the, the, the trucker is spending his money. And oh my God, this is another, totally another culture. And with, with references from, you know, from, from, Tim Hortons to to you know <laughs> Wendy's Burger and everything it's it's amazing so um but tell me how does UK always becomes the 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 you know the the feeding ground or the the the, the really the basket of growing all these uh, these influences whether they are South Asian or for example even though the the non South Asian music what's it about Britain that that breeds that kind of uh, development? You know, look, I can't really answer this question with any certainty, but we're very aware growing up in the UK that, you know, America comes out with all these bands and then we get the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. America does all this stuff and then we just kind of rule the 80s as well. There is something special about this island, as you say, away from being Desi, uh, when it comes to music, we don't have an amazing music education. Uh, there isn't a musical culture in England that's better than every other country. So maybe on a non-Desi level, it's just our positioning culturally for Western people. You know, we look towards Europe and we draw from Europe. We look towards Canada and America and we draw from Canada and America. Then you've got this very almost family relationship between Canada and and the United Kingdom with the Queen sitting somewhere in between. So honestly, I, I couldn't answer that. I'd love to give you a sociological rant about how uh, it's in our blood. I don't know what's happened, but we definitely drew from that. Because during the 80s, when all of these Bhangra bands and these uh, British Asian Desis were making music, they were aware that we were the home of um, you know the Beatles and the Stones. They were aware even though disco started in the US, we had the same level of, of disco amazingness and rock music and heavy metal. Like, you know, heavy metal came from the from Birmingham, from the Midlands, you know? This is, this is, this is madness. So uh, I can't give you a sociological anything other than now that it's happened, no one ever wants to let go. No one ever wants the UK to fall behind. But I'm telling you straight, Asma, when it comes to Desi music, we've fallen behind you Canadians. You Canadians have slapped us aside, slapped the um, Americans aside and just gone from the trucking music 
to the rap stuff, to the urban desi stuff. You guys are just taking over. Um, you know, I was, um, thank you very much. I'll take it with great sense of pride. And I would like to acknowledge all our sponsors like Canada Council, Ontario Arts Council, uh, Factor, and, uh, uh, you know, City of Mississauga, Culture Division. Listen, guys, this guy knows what he's talking about. And he talks can, about Canadian music. I'm so proud. Thank can you. I quickly interrupt? It's very important in certain countries when the state does support the arts and there is no question that the Canadian state supports the arts in a way the British state and the American state doesn't. So, you know, I don't know about the organizations you're talking about, but we see you, Canada. We see your government supporting the arts and we love we love them for it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, we, we've uh, had uh, Fateh Do uh, performing at one of the, you know, biggest events that we have in Canada in it's, it's a Canadian National Exhibition. His mother is a very dear friend of mine, very fine poetess herself, Sujit Kaur. And uh, Fateh Do is like, I saw more non-South Asians sitting in his audience than South Asians because it's his rap action and everything. I don't think it it resonates with with seniors in South Asia. His, his, only his parents were sitting there as South Asians and us, uh, and and rest was all non-South Asian crowd and young uh, m- uh, urban music fans of South Asia. So. Um, uh, where are we heading to uh, with with all this movement? And and of course, then uh, Karshkale just gave this this fantastic music for Gully Boys and and hip hop becoming big and and moving on. Where do you think we are going? Where is this music going? Okay, so um, it's going in two directions. It's going in one direction, but it's going to split soon. And I'll tell you why, okay? So first, let's just celebrate the greatness. And the greatness is, is because of technology, uh, because um, essentially a kid in, in Brampton and a kid in Mumbai uh, with very different starts in life still have the same technology to make the music. That's why we're living in a golden era of Desi music. So uh, I get it. Some seniors may go, ah, yeah, if they listen to Gully Boy. But you only have to see the success of Gully Boy to know that that wasn't a, a fake success. It wasn't a PR, uh, uh, um, a PR kind of project. You know, that really caught the zeitgeist. It really caught the moment of what's happening in India and Pakistan and Bangladesh. And suddenly every kid wants to be a rapper. Every kid wants to essentially rap. And what is rap music? For me, rap music is just an extension of what Shakespeare was doing in the, in, in the Middle Ages. So this is really important, you know. I get that some people hate rap music because it's all guns and bling and girls, but there's a lot of rappers out there who treat the very art of rap music like Shakespeare treated the English language. So number one, it's amazing that's happening in India, Pakistan and Bangladesh and the United Kingdom and Canada and the US. So whatever happens on a Desi level, it's gonna keep growing and it's gonna keep uh, essentially evolving, okay? So a word to the seniors, I don't think you're gonna have music uh, and, and, and the same kind of talent as say the late great Ustad Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan. Don't go looking for the next Nusrat because Everything's in hyper development at the moment. Don't look for the next Nusrat. Look for the next Desi uh, t- God-given talent. I just don't think it's going to be in that traditional quality format. Now, here's the next thing. That's India and Pakistan and Bangladesh. Now they've had the fire lit. 
Now they're free. And when I say they're free, they're free from all social backgrounds. A poor kid, a poor kid in the car system, suffering in the car system, can still make music on their phone. This is the liberation of technology. But now here's the other path. And this really applies to you Canadians because we're seeing it happen in the UK. Very soon, you're going to have different outcomes because of immigration patterns. All right. So when the Asian underground exploded and also the fledgling Asian urban scene or whatever you want to call it, Asian R&B and Asian hip hop scene exploded in the 90s. It was a perfect result of immigration, inward immigration into the UK in the 60s and 70s. The progeny, the kids of those parents came of age from between 1990 and the year 2000. What's really interesting now, this is something we're going through, which America and Canada haven't gone through yet. The majority of kids who listen to my show, the majority of young people now who are making music are third and fourth generation. So their their tie to their their mother tongue, is there's a gulf there. Even their tie to their language. So in the same way as these first generation uh, desis used to say, leh. Look at my son and daughter. They don't speak proper Punjabi. They don't speak proper Urdu. Um, these people are now dealing with grandchildren and great-grandchildren who will never speak that language because their parents never had it as their first language. So suddenly in the UK, I meet so much Desi talent and they're not interested in making Desi music. Yeah. And why should they? They're, they're free. They're free uh, agents. Yeah. Zen Malik. So, yeah, totally. Yeah, okay. So they can do that stuff. <clears throat> now that, <clears throat> excuse me, that's going to happen to you guys soon as well. So yeah. even though these trucking anthems are great and, you know, Fateh, what an amazing example of someone who's perfectly matched his Canadian Western culture and his love of hip hop with his mother tongue and his love of Desi culture. I mean, he's unbelievable. You know, the, some of the stuff that he does for me is some of the most forward looking Desi music being made in the world today. But give it 10 years, when, when, when the next generation comes through, they won't have his language skills. Oh, oh, Lily Singh. We've got Lily Singh who's doing a late night show, you know, in in US. She's, she's, she's made such huge uh, uh, leaps. And, and of course, there are so many other uh, musicians. What, what happened, my exposure was through my daughters uh, because they would say, mom, you should get uh, because when we started rock the coliseum the idea was that we will have rock the coliseum on the north side and a uh, south side uh north side and mosaic on south side so at the same time so that we can have the crossover on the on the, in the audience and my daughter started that and and, uh, and then she kept telling me oh you should get the gori you should get this and that singer then sumit came in and she wanted me to get uh, you know the singers like that and i was like you know our audience might not like it we already doing the independent music segment there so but then we had this this amazing singer who came in and uh, and i was blown away um at jasmine sandless i was like she was the one who came on stage. I mean, she just fired up the whole stage. Not only that, she got the biggest amount of follower likes on her videos from Mosaic Festival. And then I realized that, oh, my God, this girl is it, this is very important music. And our audience is now ready for this music. And so since then, we've been, you know, constantly doing this in pot. Um, but. I, I, I 
I still feel that, you know, we have, of course, a long way to go, but we won't go through all those steps that English parents and England people went through. We are just going to jump right one generation and get right into it because we have your example. And second thing, the people who have migrated to the North American peninsula are much different than mm. who migrated to India in those times. Uh, sorry, to UK. Now, tell me something. You went to uh, India, Pakistan, you you went uh, and then you came to Canada as well. And you did this series of amazing programs about underground music. And I'm so keen to know more about that. How was your experience? What is happening in those parts of the world? And uh, uh, how is independent music saving itself from mm, from the influences Bollywood music? Yeah. So this is like if we talk about independent music, um, saving itself from Bollywood. Let's just move Canada to the side for a minute, because I made three documentaries straight out of Mumbai, straight out of Pakistan and straight out of Canada. So we'll move Canada to the side for a minute, because like literally 1.2 billion, uh, 1.3 billion, even if you start taking in Pakistan and Bangladesh, um, it's unbelievable what's happening in those countries at the moment. So two two separate situations, but great passion amongst the independent musicians. You have India, which has a fledgling um, independent music uh, scene. It's fledgling, but it's there. And there's already a, um, uh, a business structure because of Bollywood that's able to tap into it. Yes, it's going up against Bollywood and Bollywood is a monster yeah bollywood wants to eat everything it comes across and recycle it and then literally like a ravenous monster at the table burp it out in the most vulgar way way possible all right this is what bollywood does and what's been really good is is um with the independent musicians in in india they've gone nay we don't want this to happen because actually bollywood even though it's still making money, is losing its cultural power amongst different young Indians. Number one is they're all getting conscious about their own backgrounds. You know, people aren't just saying, my Indian eh? and I'm going to watch this Bollywood movie, and that defines me. People are defined by caste. They're defined by their economic situation. States in India are coming forth and coming true. Like, if you just even take regional music, you already had... The, the, the business structure to uplift independent music. Independent music turned around and said, well, if all these Punjabis can make Bhangra in Punjab and it's not in Bollywood, then we just need to kind of copy that. If, if the Tamil industry and music from, from, from uh, Himachal Pradesh, you know, from the big to the small industries, that's what they've done. So Bengal? India is in a... Yeah, so India's in a very unique situation now. You have a youth demographic explosion where I, I don't quote me on this, but I think like almost 50% of the country is under the age of 30. They're all trying to not destroy Bollywood, but they're trying to say we're much more than Bollywood. And you have the business structure to uplift independent music. So I really, really am excited for the next 10, 15 years in India. Pakistan, different situation, but actually even more exciting, weirdly enough. So when I went out to Pakistan, I only stayed in Karachi. I didn't report on a lot of the stuff that was happening in Lahore and Islamabad. But um, obviously, I found out that there isn't the structure there. Everyone talked about um, security situation, the security situation, uh, for, which essentially is a byword for 
<laughs> we couldn't do gigs because we were afraid of being blown up, essentially, all right? And uh, that whole security situation, whatever the reasons for that were, essentially lasted from 2010 to very, very recently. So very different situation. Pakistan, the independent music industry slapped in the face because of the security situation. And then also a business structure there because there's no Bollywood. The business structure was very much, well, this is the film. Uh, this is Lollywood. Okay, this is a uh, traditional folk music from Pakistan. This is uh, Kuali music. It's, you know, uh, the, the same names are there. The same kind of business managers are there. So what I found in Pakistan was a real passion, if not even aggression, to basically split the country into pieces, metaphorically speaking, and yeah. to come forth and bring forth this new, the new rock bands. You know, like when I went first went to, uh, said I told people I was going to Pakistan, they're like, oh yes, Pakistan, the home of the rock band. I'm like, no, these kids aren't thinking about Junoon, okay? Yeah. It doesn't matter. This is just the way generations, Junoon are the grandparents' band, let alone their parents' band. Yeah. So Pakistan, even more exciting because, um, the, the 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 raw passion of especially the rap scene there is unbridled. It's like a nuclear energy at the moment. Faris Shafi has done so well. Faris Faris has volunteered with us yeah. as well, and he was working towards it. He's really worked really hard. Not only that, really creative ideas and and letting go, which is so important for for these people. And 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 I think Faris has this very big advantage uh, that he got that support because he comes from a family which has a uh, uh, media already into it. So Faris has been going out. He's getting everything from holding it from the neck. I love his passion. I mean, he can be really hard, but that's what you need. You know, it's it, and uh, Azar. Asim, Asim, Azar. Asim, Azim. Oh my God, what a great talent. And and um, I, I'm, I'm blown away with these people. Can I quickly say something about Asim and also Faris, who I know very well. Uh, who I've met many times and and who I absolutely love. So I've been playing them for years. But and here's the here's the but. We need the Asims and the Farises and even the Hedel Mustasans, you know, uh, uh, brother of Mamina. We need those people. But in Pakistan, just like in India, we're looking at background and we're looking at class. All right. So of course you don't look at Faris's class background because his art is beyond class. He's talented and he's been touched by the hands of the music gods all right uh, mm. so that's great but when i see people like the young stunners who in pakistan 10 20 years ago would never have even been allowed near a studio doing things now i've been playing the young stunners for three years now they are the most exciting artists in pakistan as we speak and what what happened a year ago the upper classes didn't even know who they were then last year Pepsi co-opt them and say, we want to launch a rap competition through you. They've just released a track with Asim Azhar. They're going to be Pakistani superstars within the next <clears throat> 12 months. And I think that's what's really interesting about Pakistan now. The class situation has broken down into pieces. People won't sit there and go, Are we don't want to see these guys. We want to see someone from our own class. They're, the fact they're not upper class actually appeals to most people because they keep it real. And that's why Pakistan is in for a music revolution over the next 12 months, even next two or three years. Lovely. 
Oh, this is this is so. It, uh, what do you think Cox Studios' contribution has been to this <coughs> change in the music um, scene in India and Pakistan? So for me, um, without Coke Studio, Pakistan wouldn't have a music industry, or you'd have a folk industry, um, basically somewhere down there. What I believe Coke Studio did in those really great years, not that I'm saying it's not in great years now, but let's face it, its, it's star has waned a bit, okay? What essentially I think, like, apart from all the great music and the, the celebration of talent and the the amazing super musical minds all of them involved along the way what it did was during that security situation <laughs> it basically it basically kept music alive it took that music out of live gigs and put it on on the internet and put it on pakistani tv so for me i think every pakistani should literally be thanking god thanking the universe for rahel hayat and everyone else involved in Coke Studio because because that security situation could have basically destroyed the music industry in Pakistan forever. Absolutely. And, and that's what it did. Pakistan Coke Studio basically it essentially pumped plasma into the dying body of Pakistani music and it it basically brought it back to life again. Fabulous. Uh, now, tell me uh, how do you feel um England has been treating its, uh, you know, the Desi music nowadays uh, with the cuts, with the, the, you know, these horrible cuts to, um, to arts funding and so on and so forth. Um, and and uh, uh, you guys were instrumental in bringing Desi music to Glastonbury Festival, you know, for putting those guys, putting the that music in, in that jaws of that great <laughs> enterprise uh, how was that experience and how you've just done this the online edition of it so so talk a bit about how did that come across okay well i i'm not going to take um you know uh, the the cup the award for introducing desi music to glastonbury i was there probably first uh, in terms of desis because of my first glastonbury festival was 1992 and i remember seeing i think two or three brown people over five days, all right, over hundreds of thousands of people. But of course, things moved on. Uh, the 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 real change point for Glastonbury, it was growing every year because uh, essentially it just did it first. You know, the idea of the music festival. You know, in America, you had Woodstock, this great festival. And then what happens to all the music festivals? If America had been on point, they would have carried on Woodstock or Woodstock-like festivals throughout the 70s and throughout the 80s. But actually, Britain did. The real change point for Glastonbury was the BBC essentially formalising it as a uh, an official UK rock festival by broadcasting it. So over the years, more and more desis came. You mentioned uh, Simon earlier on. You, you know, DJ Swami uh, earlier on. Um, I remember DJing with him. My first Glastonbury as a DJ, not as a uh, uh, as a uh, festival goer, I think was 1999 or 98. And I DJed with him at that point. And uh, I remember at the time really having this moment where I turned around to him and he was playing Bhangra, but it was remixed in, in terms of rave music. I was playing drum and bass mixed up with Desi music. And we had like four or five thousand people in this big tent losing their, all right, losing their minds. All right. And I remember saying to him, wow, this is madness. Can you imagine like 10 years from now, there's going to be a Desi music stage. And then uh, around 2003, just as 
you know, the next wave was coming through. Rishi Ridge, Jay Sean, Raghav, all of these people. Um, w- uh, a company called uh, Brazian put up this actual stage. It wasn't a big stage. You know, Glastonbury has not two, three or four stages. It has over 100 stages. It's set over 600 acres, all right? It's absolutely massive. But it was a seminal moment because on that stage that night, you know, Rishi Rich performed, Raghav performed, Punjabi MC DJed. It really was a moment. So, um, yeah, Glastonbury has always had a, a great relationship with Desi musicians in a way that other mainstream um, festivals don't. We've got great Mela culture going on as well here in the UK. You know, we started in the 80s. You, before COVID, in any summer, you could have gone to any number of Mela's across the UK. Um, so I've got to just, you know, salute Glastonbury because a lot of those mainstream festivals didn't care didn't didn't want us there thought we weren't cool because you know let's face it being asian on a musical level sometimes isn't cool for a lot of people so glastonbury is a special place you know yeah i and and uh, honestly that's uh, one of those things that we i would love to go and attend or uh, I, now i think because of covid we realized that you know our goals should become short term goals <laughs> and as soon as you get an opportunity to do it and get it over with because you never know what's coming next but uh, you know sorry can i i just want to say something because you know you are a festival uh, owner a festival organizer um i totally get that everyone's doing these performances on zoom and everyone's trying to navigate and everyone wants to evolve within with everything that's happening but i swear to god asma if if we don't see the return of festivals if we don't see the return of of live music outdoors let alone indoors, I think we'll have lost uh, one of the most unique things about being uh, homo sapien, about our human species. Absolutely. Uh, Live music is actually the measure of not only the talent of the musician, but also the relationship between a viewer and and the musician. And that is priceless. There is no, uh, you know, no second thing that can replace it. So I totally agree with you. Uh, And and I hope things, you know, turn for better we find a, a a cure which uk is leading on which which is very exciting um so we'll all keep our fingers crossed on that is, but, is, is that why we is that why we got hacked by the russians today oh maybe <laughs> but, but you know that yesterday there was a huge hack of uh, a twitter of uh, yeah. barack obama and everybody and uh, those guys those those guys asking for money for bitcoin uh, got quite a lot of money which is uh, amazing actually <laughs> uh, okay so uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, you, you know i remember the fusion music we my first fusion experience was bidu you know for us yeah. was the thing and all that i still love his music you know for me that reminds me of my growing era and for my my initiation to this and then we we moved on and we went on now we have in canada great music uh, by delhi to dublin who were you know creating a new sound and and uh, then uh, you know bills and kasha for big they were our second year they were, they were our headliners i remember and it was like they were huge and now you know, we've got the Musewala and Deep Jhandu and, and Jazzy B, of course, the God. Uh, so 
tell me something when now coming to canada um, when you see uh, these uh, the fusion part of music where musicians are trying to work with non south asian uh, elements uh, josh for example i mean these guys are not big in canada as such as music band but they huge outside of canada in pakistan india i mean these guys are really rocking it so where do you think um these this this fusion part and all that when will we get into that wave when is well, that coming okay so number one is as i explained earlier on i think your wave is just starting you're already in that wave uh, a great example is if you go to a, a anyone in the uk and you look at their their listening habits on streaming and let's say they're a punjabi, a punjabi kid 20 years old they'll have siddu musiala on 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 their streaming okay they'll be listening to fatte um you know I, I, my job is to find the next wave um of musicians ap dilan and grinda gill are two uh, bangra musicians very young punjabi musicians from canada and uh i've got a feeling they've got the potential to be as big as siddu musala who doesn't matter what anyone if you love him or hate him this guy is massive now you know this guy isn't he's not a joke anymore all right so so i think i think you asked about a wave i think you, we are in the wave you just you guys just can't see it yet because as i say when i look in my inbox when i get new music so much of it's canadian yeah there may not be superstars yet uh but i just see this this work ethic this flow of mp3s and and wavs and new music from people in vancouver and toronto and even places in between um coming into my inbox and that's the other thing uh 5 years ago i'd get canadian music but i'd get one track a week or maybe even one track every 3 weeks now it's fighting with the uk mus- musicians it's another kid yo i'm from uh, brampton i listen to your show listen to my music yo i'm from vancouver i listen to your show listen to my music so um yeah i think you're already in that wave i think unlike previous waves it's going to be multiple genres it's not like hey when's the when's the fusion wave going to happen and let's put a put a tag on it it won't be like that what will happen is you'll go the three biggest bhangra acts um are from canada the three biggest basic uh, desi pop acts are from canada like that's how it will happen and you'll only know that and i honestly believe you will be seeing that in the next 2 to 3 years and now we tell me something how can we help and how can we educate our um, musicians to uh, become more professional to you know we get a lot of requests for people to perform and play is there any advice you would like to give to the young musicians or or such groups uh, or how to um, organize themselves how to become more substantial in order to get attention from from festivals like ours yeah well basically uh, i'm look come on you're desi i'm a desi so i'm just going to be brutally honest about sadde bande our people all right i think sometimes our people can they're happy with third best not just second best third best i meet so many musicians who who put a bit of work in and go ah i've done this and then i'll say it's fine maybe you'll be ready in 2 3 years and they lose their minds and i'm like dude no rapper in america wants it on a plate after their second track a rock band doesn't want it on a plate they want to work hard 
they're going to take 10 years to get where they want to go. Do not think just because your mum has called you her little prince and made you aluwala pronte every single Sunday and said, do you want horde? That everyone else is going to treat you like that. So I, there's a real problem with privilege in our community, uh, especially male privilege, that I even see with the musicians. They do a bit of work uh, and that's it. So basically, to cut a long story short, uh, a lot of Desi musicians aren't, don't want to put the work in. They don't want to dedicate their life to exactly. living, eating and breathing. And that's the whole thing. Those superstars, whether it's Siddhu Musiala or Jasmine Sandless or the next name in Kuali or your Ali Setis, every single one of the great musicians basically says, this is my life. I'm the embodiment of music. And there's a big majority of Desi musicians in Canada, in the UK, even in India, who basically do it because they just want the likes and they want to be the the person who walks into the wedding and everyone looks at. And these guys, this is what I'm saying to them. Give your life to music and art or basically get out of here. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's 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 a uh, it's a very uh, rewarding experience to be heard, to be enjoyed and all. But you can never get ahead without the hard work that you need, without putting all your you know ducks in the row, without re realizing that your portfolios have to be substantial. They have to be uh, some real work, some uh, and and. I think they don't realize that festivals like ours, when we ask people to play music of other people, we we get subjected with paying a lot of high fees to the uh, to uh, you know our uh, SOCAN and all that. So we want uh, their own stuff, original stuff, and 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 that is something which I think the new uh, guys don't understand. Uh, so it's it's a great way of telling them that you know I say that, but now Bobby. Friction is saying it, so you better listen to it and believe it, too. Well, here's a really important bit of advice to add on top, and that is I get that a lot of these new musicians can't play live because the way people make music these days is they don't get in a, in a, in a space and jam with a, with a bassist and a guitarist. It's usually one producer on a laptop. That's fine. Make your music as, as artificially intelligent as you want. Make it as electronic as you want but you're going to have to be able to play that music live at some point. And that's the next thing. I can, I can play a hundred artists with a hundred great tracks and only two or three of them will be able to play live. And it used to be the reverse 20, 30 years ago. And guys, if you learn how to play live, you're gonna triple, you're gonna quadruple your income from music overnight. Absolutely. Thank you. This is a great point. Uh, you know, there's so many wonderful people who are watching this show. We have Rish, Rishaba Mundhara, who says, Bobby, you mentioned about colonial gatekeeping in one of your tweets. Would love to hear more about that. Wow. OK, well, this is this is pulling together uh, um, the the different kind of vibes that are going on in Canada and the United Kingdom. And this is uh, definitely plugging into what's happening in terms of Black Lives Matter. I think more and more people, um, and I know it's a sensitive point, but more and more people are starting to understand how white supremacy and white privilege works. And I think we're in a bit of a, a revolution and also a, a fight at the moment for the future of the West, where essentially you have a lot of white people in positions of power who aren't racist, who, who don't sit there thinking, 
I don't like non-white people, but they are basically gatekeepers. And what they do is decide what the, the culture of a country is. And it's their decisions which kind of make sure Asian music is put to one side. And it's almost like, well, that's just the music for the brown people who live in this country. And, you know, uh, there's also that, like, I'll give you a great example. That would never happen with black music because black music is so powerful. It's so inextricably intertwined with Western culture now from the emergence of rock and roll, from, from you know, R&B and soul and everything that happened in America. That would never happen. But it's very interesting that it only happens with black music. That's not just black people being brilliant at their cultural uh, music and, and what they do. It's because the white gatekeepers have said from the beginning, we'll have you, but we won't have you guys. And the only reason Latino music is breaking through now, it's not because white people have suddenly gone, I love Latino music. It's because the numbers of Latinos in the, in the United States are so, so numerous now, it's had to break through. And guess what happens when you play white people and all kinds of people music, even in a language they don't understand? The great thing about music is it hits them right here. And this is the future of Desi music. I've had people saying to me, we need to sing in English. You'll never get Pangra anywhere near the top 40. No, we need to break down those walls that are keeping us out because music will always basically bring down walls between humans. But at the moment, those gatekeepers are keeping it at arm's length. Yeah, it's it's a great it's it's a very revolutionary movement. The entire world is caught up into it. I think because we are all sitting at home, uh, the mo movement got more momentum because we all had uh, opportunity to think about things uh, the way they were and uh, the way we never want them to be again. So while that happened, what were the things that you did? Uh, with your life that you think you would never want to do again or the things which you think were really god sent in these are you talking times. are you talking about lockdown the, the things about lockdown. lockdown absolutely well um i'll never disrespect teachers ever in my life because i homeschool my kids all right and i literally went I'm going to be the best homeschool teacher ever. I love knowledge. I will impart this knowledge to my kids and they will gratefully receive it. And actually they did gratefully receive it. We had such great times and within 24 hours, they'd be like, huh? <laughs> and I've now, I've now realized the power of a teacher isn't just imparting knowledge. It's the ability to take the knowledge, put it in the child's head and then tap it down and keep it in the child's head. Because I've tried everything i've taught them english maths i've taught them humanities I've, we've talked about space travel volcanoes geography history we've looked at the vikings we've looked at the romans we've done everything they're so involved and within 24 hours they're like huh so i don't know <laughs> i don't know so so yeah yeah please open up the schools not 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 too quickly and i i want teachers to be paid what they're worth Excellent. What are the good thing? What is a good thing? One good thing that you think you are taking away from these times? Really important good thing that it's really to you. It's a really it's a really basic thing, Asma. I'd love to say something really deep and heavy related to music, but actually it's just something really simple. I spent the last ten years of my life 
as everyone does when they have children or when they get married, bit by bit, distancing myself from my social life. You know, you just kind of go, oh, I'll go out once a month. I don't need to go out every weekend. Oh, I really want to have a coffee with that person. Oh, can I be bothered? And as soon as everyone was cut off from me, I just thought to myself, I will never, ever again sit there and try and rank my friends or go, well, that's not really a, cl really a close friend. Or, uh, you know what? It's too much hassle to go and meet this person for a coffee. Any coffee, any drink, any picnic, any come around my house or e even any let's have a Zoom meeting. I'm there now. So that's what I've learned. I'm not going to make myself. I, I think without knowing it, I made myself unavailable to, to the joy of, of, of true friends. So uh -huh. I'm destroying that now. Oh, that is that is so amazing. That's so wonderful. But you know what? I personally, I felt that this was for me, this, this isolation, this ability to say, oh, no, thanks, sorry, we can't come or we can't mingle. We can't do anything. Uh, proved to be uh, that proved to be a, a very interesting point for me because I I did so many things which I was hoping I will be able to catch up with or or, or not uh, you know uh, for example this program so it's it's so it's so rich for all of us this this experience of sitting at home and working from home and and learning uh, how to manage all this set up and everything <laughs> that ring light uh, that uh, I, I think our lives will be changed forever. We are yeah. totally different people now. And I, I I'll definitely support you on that. I, I gave an interview recently where I said I encountered so many problems in the first couple of weeks in terms of just having to record my show from home. It made me um, more innovative than at any other point in my life. And I think that's one thing it's given everybody. Yeah, so true. So uh, while you are sitting at home, do you watch TV? What is your favorite thing that you're watching? Any special uh, thing that you were would really be <laughs> wondering whether I should say the name of that girly show or Glee or something? What is your poison nowadays? I'm I'm so boring. I'm going to totally admit to you, my wife often tells me she hates me for this. I don't watch TV. Uh, it's not even from some level of, I am the music man. I don't believe in TV. But literally, I haven't got time to watch TV. And nothing's better than relaxing to music. So I do watch some TV, but I'm, I'm no great TV critic or, or great person. I don't watch many movies. I haven't seen most of the movies that everyone's seen. I just love watching throwaway nonsense uh, that's also psychedelic in nature. So I watch a lot of Rick and Morty you know, and animations like that. Uh, I, I like a lot of a lot of weird movies. I like John Malkovich in being John Malkovich. You know, if any if a movie comes along and everyone goes, yo, dude, this is like really strange and surreal. The word surreal uh, to describe a movie will always get me watching it. But as regards TV, forget about it. I watch the odd documentary and that's it. What are the uh, what are the names on your music list which you uh, work out to? Oh, wow. Well, um, I don't really work out. I cycle. And uh, honestly, like if we move away from Desi music, I usually put on Daft Punk or the Chemical Brothers because I want machine like frenzied pumping robot music <laughs> to, when I'm cycling. And in terms of uh, Desi music, 
Um, I just really, really like uh, a lot of uh, Indian and Pakistani hip hop at the moment. There's just so much power in the vocals. So I'll play Swadesi. I'll play Prabdeep. These are all rappers from India. I'll play uh, um, the young stunners from Karachi. I'll play the rap demon who's from Islamabad. All these guys make amazing music. Uh, and I've got to just quickly big up Umair, who's 16 years old, from, uh, I think, Lahore or Islamabad. He's producing most of the biggest underground hits right now, and he's only 16. And I'm kind of like, dude, if you're this good at 16, what are you going to be like when you're 26? So, yeah, if it's not robot rock and robot music and essentially techno, then it's definitely Indian and Pakistani rap. Oh, lovely. Listen, Bobby, I, I'm telling you, this program, I know there are two kind of people who are going to love me having you on this show. One is my 95-year-old uncle and the other are my daughters who will say, oh, mom, this was cool. So I am so happy for you to uh, put me in, uh, help me get into that line. And uh, thank you so much for this beautiful time that we've had together. I... Mm, I'm so grateful to you. I'm grateful uh, to BBC for uh, keeping you on your toes. And uh, I hope that next time you are going to come to Canada and uh, help us not only the program, uh, the festival, but also be there and bring your energy as MC and uh, as a, a presenter. Uh, love you, Bobby. Thank you so much. Mm, big hug. Love you too, Asma, and uh, I will probably and possibly very soon see you at your festival. I couldn't think of anything better. And the last word must go to your 95-year-old uncle, who I know from the tracks that he likes, he goes for the real underground stuff. This guy doesn't even go for the Bollywood or the quality. He always picks the real underground artists. So all I can say is 95 years old and rocking out and shacking out as cool as he is. I just want to salute you, Uncle G. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This was the beautiful, beautiful afternoon that we spent with uh, one and only Bobby Friction. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Bye-bye.